are listening to Manufactured with Kim von der Weert and Jessie Lee, a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. Join us every week in conversation with the people who manufacture what we wear. Imagine a shop with jeans from all different brands. Where the only thing tying it all together is that they are made of denim from the same mill. Sounds pretty revolutionary, doesn't it? But Candiani Denim has done just that. Candiani continues to operate in the same Italian town it started in back in 1938. Recently released biodegradable stretch denim continues to be family owned and operated, and has opened its own retail shop. If you haven't listened to part one of this conversation, be sure to do so. It's not an essential prerequisite to part two, but it certainly helps. We talk about Candiani's rich history, their unique vertical integrated structure, and how this has enabled their pioneering approach to sustainability. Why have they opted for biodegradability over recycling? And how does regenerative agriculture and cotton sourcing strategy come into play? All of this is important context for understanding the difficulty Candiani had in educating their customers, brands, about their approach to sustainability. Candiani realized that for people to understand what they were doing, whether brands or end consumers, they needed to tell their own story. But wary of cannibalizing their own market, they set out to brand the denim fabric itself. Last week, I shared that I'd been stocking Candiani since December 2019 when I was in Amsterdam for the Christmas holidays and needed a new pair of jeans. What really piqued my interest about Candiani was precisely this decision to brand their fabric. At the time, I still lived in Cambodia and was in the middle of the terrible job of having to shut down a factory and consolidate two production facilities into one. In part, the result of being on the losing end of some nasty price negotiations with some of our biggest customers. So the idea of turning the fabric itself instead of the finished product into a brand struck me as a radical way for suppliers to get more leverage at the negotiating table, a way to force a more equal distribution of wealth across the supply chain. In this week's episode, we explore Candiani's journey to brand its fabric. How has it changed their communication with customers' brands? How does the end consumer know whether they've got a pair of jeans made with Candiani fabric? Why did they decide to open their own retail outlet in Milan, and how has their customer portfolio evolved as a result? If you are on Instagram, please follow us to help us grow the conversation at manufactured underscore podcast. Not much of an Instagram person. We feel you. We have a love hate relationship with social media too. Sign up to our weekly newsletter instead on our website www.manufacturedpodcast.com to find out what we're reading, what we're thinking, and what we're wishing. If you like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our homepage. And finally, don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes and hit subscribe. Danielle, thank you so much for joining us. How does communication about what sustainability means go with your customers?、Um, because if you guys, as a company, have managed to basically self-finance all of this,、um, all of this innovation, that's a really big commitment for you, and there's got to be demand for it. So I'm curious, like, how does that conversation go? Do you call up your customers and say, "Hey, we've got something for you"? Do they do they push you? Do they say, "Hey, we really want this"?、Mm-hmm. 
how does it play out? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think a lot of the developments that have happened are more us pushing, pushing, uh, you know, the envelope, basically what's happening. Um, so it's a little bit of both. It's us really pushing, you know, our innovations, what we think is important. And then it is a little bit of brands asking for certain things. I mean, right now, at least, you know, based on the emails that I'm receiving currently, it's really about they really want information, data, lifecycle assessments. That's that seems to be what they're pushing us for. What we're really pushing is like the development of products that have a decreased footprint. Um, and the whole communication with brands is I don't want to say it's a work in progress, but it's kind of a work in progress because a lot of times when we have started or launched a different innovation or a different product that has, um, you know, superior sustainable um, features, it takes a lot to explain to brands what that means because we we have seen over the years that a lot of brands have never maybe even denim designers have maybe never visited a denim mill they don't understand like the technicalities that go into making the fabric. And so that has been a big effort of ours in the last, you know, seven years or so to really reach out to brands and give them an experience where they can see how denim is made just to inform, you know, just so they understand the product better. Um, and then, yeah, so we've created kind of a, a language we call it, or we call it the denim language where we have like different logos that, are an easy communicative tool to explain to brands and designers exactly, you know, what this, what this sustainable feature is and why it's better or better in terms of sustainability. So in in addition to investing in all the research and development, you also have to invest quite a lot. It sounds like in educating people within brands, which is kind of its own, separate skill set and I guess maybe even marketing in a, yeah. in a way. Well, we right? do have, so we, I'm actually, I sit on the marketing team. So we, um, it's a company called, we, the owner founded a company called Blue Collars. And this is the uh, dedicated in-house branding, retail and marketing um, like branch of Candiani. And so it is, it is a full-time work and something that, you know, um, we just saw was necessary because we were investing a lot or we are investing a lot into, you know, driving sustainability in our own operations, but at an industry level as well. And for a while, maybe it wasn't getting received the way that we were hoping from brands. That's what I was going to ask, because we've heard from a lot of suppliers in past Mm. episodes of this show that they were pushing for various sustainability innovations, and they were met with a lot of resistance Mm. uh, from their customers, from brands. You know, um, someone else in season one said, well, like we would push different types of more sustainable denim options, but then, um, you know, often our customers wanted just one Mm. like sustainability piece in a collection, in in their collection of, you know, less sustainable pieces, right? They They weren't willing to go all in. So I, I'm curious, like, how you, how Candiani has experienced. Yeah, I mean, I would say it's quite similar. Um, I mean, for a while, and this is changing now, but for a while, for a lot of brands, sustainability meant organic cotton, or even better, BCI cotton, Better Cotton Initiative cotton. And so, again, when we started introducing all of these, like, dyeing innovations or different finishing 
or yeah, even different, a variety of fibers or stretch qualities. Um, yeah, it was, I think there was, a. I, I don't know if I would call it resistance as opposed to just not understanding. <laughs> so it's taken, mm. it's, it's, uh, takes the concerted effort to really, um, explain again and again. And I, I think we have a good example is we have a fabric that we launched in 2018 called the Re- Regen. And this fabric is made with, um, 50% recycled cotton from our pre, pre, and pre consumer. So from our own operations and 50% refibra. So it's a 100% regenerated, um, fabric that doesn't require any virgin, any virgin fibers at all. And so we launched this in 2018 and only now are we really seeing brands picking it up. Like this is, this is when it's really started taking off in this, this year, basically. And so there is just kind of this delay. And I don't know if brands are really operating from, from what they're like, from the perspective of what their customers are asking of them, or if they really are just kind of maybe slow to pick up some of these innovations. I think it's, and I think that's really interesting because it's it's a it's something that we hear again and again, and it actually brings me to Candiani recently decided to start branding its denim, right? And um, and and I'm curious, maybe you can describe a little bit about what that means because people might be thinking, what like so I can go out and buy a Candiani pair of jeans? No, not not exactly, right? So again, yeah, going back to kind of this communication with um, our brands or with our customers. So we we created these kind of branded components, again, like saying, you know, using different logos or different kind of explanations for different components in, in jeans. And then um, so. So originally that was really about improving your communication. with Exactly. Brands. That was about communicating. That was about uh, improving our communications with brands. But then we decided that we wanted to take it a step further. And so we opened a retail space in, um, in the center of Milan to, again, go, be able to go to the end consumer. Because, again, it's like this chain of communication. So we have, we're communicating with brands, but then the brands don't understand how to communicate to their end consumer. So we kind of wanted to bridge that gap, basically, and open a retail space where we can highlight certain clients that we feel, you know, we have a good relationship they align with our values in terms of sustainability and responsible production. And so we, we are, have a retail space where we sell these brands and, you know, whether that's um, mostly we are now doing a lot of um, like limited collections with the, with them. And so it becomes, um, a, yeah, again, another communication tool. It um, gives a, a different or it gives an additional kind of, window for some of these brands where we can highlight them and um it's really kind of for me revolutionary like you imagine going into a shop and instead of that shop selling say i don't know h&m or gap or whatever you go into that shop and it's selling all these different brands in one shop and the thread that ties it all together I guess that's a bad problem. (laughs) The thread that ties it all together is that they're all made from the same denim mill. So now consumers, like, instead of saying, oh, I want, you know, a pair of jeans from this brand, it's like, I want a pair of jeans made from this fabric, which is just like, for me, the reason I say it strikes me as revolutionary is because one of the things we talk about a lot on this show 
as suppliers trying to sort of like balance the scales at, at, around the negotiating table and trying to find ways to be less replaceable mm -hmm. so that they can negotiate on things like price, right? Which comes back to what you said. You said you were twice as expensive. Well, one of the, I'm assuming one of the ways you're able to do that is because people are hoping to be able to, to continue doing that is people will say, well, I want my jeans made with this fabric. Mm -hmm. And that is just so, such an interesting concept. Yeah. I mean, thank you. I, I think also it's answering, um, you know, this, this drive for transparency in the industry. So we're kind of giving that piece to brands. We're, we're giving them um, the, the increased or like communication support. And then, and then now actually an outlet where we can communicate why this pair of jeans is different from the rest. And, and the, like you said, the commonality in that is, is the fabric itself. Because if we're talking about the production impacts, the majority of that does come from the, the production of, of the fabric itself. So we are enabling brands to, yeah, have an outlet to explain that more. I'm curious if you've had pushback because like from your customers, have they said, uh, has there been fear? For example, because you've been very, at least in the articles that I've read about Kandiani, you've been very deliberate in making it clear that you're not interested in making the jeans. Mm. You're not interested in becoming a brand that's selling a finished product. And that the reason for that is because you want to be very clear that you're not there to sort of take away from your customer's business. So I'm, I'm curious like whether there was pushback from your customers, how they feel about it, or if actually maybe it's been a positive thing because it helps them to explain um, what, what their product is to their customers. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's, from what I know, like, I don't think there's been pushback necessarily. It is a delicate topic and we recognize that from the get-go. Like we knew that we had to, play this right. Otherwise, yeah, we did risk cannibalizing, you know, the, our brands. And so I think the, the focus has really been to, to partner with brands again, that, that are, are our best clients, you know, that we have long relationships with and that align with our values of made in Italy, innovation and sustainability. And so I think for those brands, it has been, yes, an added, I would say, kind of bonus because it does give them a retail space in Milan, which some of them do not have. So it's the, you know, their first uh, parlay into retail or into being sold in, in the Milan market, which I think is, is a benefit for, for these brands. Um, but again, yeah, you're, you're totally right. It is a very delicate topic. And so we were careful. But I think it's also just such a great example of how we should be doing transparency. And I love that you brought that in because in the past, like on this show, I've been quite critical of transparency, the way that the industry does transparency, because it's often like asking, we're asking brands to open their doors and then also check their own homework. And one of like my I feel like I'm a broken record, but I keep saying like transparency should be about giving suppliers voice and about 
creating spaces where we hear more from suppliers because suppliers are the experts mm. in what they do, which is making the products, which as you have pointed out, is where most of the environmental impact comes. Like I read a report last week, the, the what's it called? It's either climate on fashion or fashion on climate. I get the order mixed up, but the McKinsey report that just came out together with the global fashion agenda and it, and, and it, it spells it out like 70% of emissions in the fashion supply chain are from are upstream mm -hmm. are from suppliers yeah. right i agree i i totally agree so i'm curious to understand better like it's all well and good to say that Kandiani is trying to become a branded component or a part of a pair of jeans that consumers will recognize. But how do you actually go about doing that? Do you have your logo on the fabric? How would a consumer know if they're wearing a pair of jeans made with Kandiani denim? That's a great question because it's really true. If you see denim fabric next to each other, two pieces of different denim fabric next to each other, they all kind of look the same. I mean, not... To the, to the untrained eye, it's really hard to tell the difference. So um, we did develop actually a suite of marketing tools that we um, supply, again, to brands that we feel align with our values and that we, you know, have a good relationship with. So we have a, a series of tools, one being uh, a golden rivet. So the rivets are the little kind of metal pieces used to attach the pockets to the, the jeans themselves. It's a, a kind of a reinforcer. So it helps to make mm. it so the pockets don't, don't rip so easily. Um, so we have, are those biodegradable too? They are not biodegradable. <laughs> we, I mean, of course we're looking for biodegradable components or um, yeah, components such as rivets, mm. but they're not, I mean, there are some, but they look very plasticky and cheap. So, I mean, Compared to a golden one, it's not as pretty, but we are looking. <laughs> I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of development in that space in the next, I mean, now moving forward, basically. Right. So people should look for the golden yes. rivet. Or we do actually have a label that some brands use um, depending on, yeah, it's basically their decision to use or not. So we do have a label that says uh, Kandiani. I, I believe it like a sewn, a sewn in, label. in label. So a sewn in label, you could, I, I, it depends on the brand where they place it, but you can also, you can also, you can also recognize Kandiani denim for, for, for that too. But, but it's also possible that uh, people go to a brand to buy a pair of jeans. The fabric is Kandiani, but maybe that brand didn't use those logos or use those little tools, right? It's possible yes. you, you have a pair of jeans it that is. you don't know it's, it's very, from, it the fabric is from Candiani. Yes, it's very possible. <laughs> so, I mean, one, again, these, these suite of tools are, are offered to certain brands. So brands that have, you know, the ethos of sustainability, responsible production. And then there are some brands that do, you know, have these qualities and then choose not to use the labeling tools because, I don't know why we we really view it as a you know a stamp of quality, but some some brands I think maybe feel like it interferes with their branding and and choose not to use it. Then I hope after our podcast, those brands would realize it's actually a very valuable add-on and standard to put the logos on their their jeans. So our our listeners but, also know where to find them. Yeah. 
But what's, what I find, what I didn't realize is that you as Candiani also choose for some brands, you don't offer them the golden ribbon yeah. or you don't offer them the Sony yeah. label. So like, there's like two levels that play here. There's like, you're choosing, you're choosing which brands you want to be associated with. And then on top of that, within that group of brands that you are interested in being associated with, some choose and some don't choose mm. to then actually use it, which as Jesse said, is just like, a shame, yeah. um, like a distraction, and, distraction from the uh, attention they received from end consumers. They don't want <laughs> anyone distract their marketing attention. I guess. Yeah. No, it is. I mean, we do we do utilize that um, kind of or we reserve the right to decide in the end who can use these tools because it is true there are some brands that willingly greenwash or maybe you know they produce let's say 200,000 uh, pairs of jeans a year, but they, they do a sustainable capsule collection of, of 1,000, and then they want to use these tools to kind of indicate a level of, you know, um, a level of sustainability. And so we, we do want to reserve the right to avoid that. So you have to know your customers really well. We, I mean, too. at this point, I mean, we do. Like, we have worked with a lot of them for a long time and whether it's been consistent or off and on, I mean, again, we, we've been in, we've in, been in business for a long time. So, so we know the industry. I, I love this. I, I really love this. This is a brand evaluation from a supplier and the supplier decided yeah. to preserve the right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But I'm just thinking if we talk about affordability, what we can do to make it not just suitable for for a smaller group of end customers, but I don't want to say we needed to lower the prices because that is not possible. I mean, sustainability has a cost. Again, uh, so what, what's happening now with this retail space and the collaboration with brands is that we've even expanded the vertical integration of our company even more. And so we make these small collections but price point is is always is always an, um, you know important for us. I, I have to be honest. Like previously, some some of our some of the pieces that we sell in our store are not going to be available to the white to a wide audience based on on the price. But we are hoping um, as we move forward with this project to work with brands um, or to work with manufacturers locally and to be able to reduce the production costs just because of, you know, we are eliminating some of the costs based on what the, if we were selling to a supplier, or I mean, sorry, if we were selling to a brand, there would be that added cost, right? So we're trying to reduce um, the margins basically, or we are able to because we have, again, this oversight over the entire supply chain. Do you think, do you think Candiani in the future might ever do cut and sew itself? Um, it, it may happen again, it would be under the lens of collaborating with brands. So what you're saying is kind of like basically by being vertically integrated, okay. It not only affects your, your ability to look at sustainability, but also like, you know, you don't have people at all these different steps, basically mm -hmm. taking, taking a cut, which is allows you to keep your costs. I mean, you're still more expensive, but relative to somebody else who tried to do this, who was not vertically integrated, it allows you to keep your costs mm -hmm. down. So a strategy is to kind of like continue to sort of assume more responsibility for different parts of the supply chain. Is that right? Yes. 
that is the long-term vision for sure. Because I think, again, going back to our price, like competitiveness, we, this is what makes sense to us to differentiate ourselves from our competitors. Because for a while, you know, in terms of aesthetics of, of other denim fabrics made from whoever other producers in the world, it wasn't quite there, but the, the gap is closing. So people have been able to kind of copy our look and, so, yeah, we are having to kind of pivot and find different ways to differentiate ourselves. And again, we are focused on transparency. So it is us, the producer, being able to tell the full story of a product and the most iconic product, I think, in in the world, mm. a pair of jeans. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm curious, like, over time, has your portfolio of customers shifted or changed or evolved like the kind of mm. I mean of course you started in 1938 so <laughs> yeah. you weren't even making yeah. denim so of course I mean in obvious ways it's changed but like if you look back at say I don't know the last 20 years or so have the types of customers that you work with really evolved or do you have really long-standing relationships with some of your customers since you since the 60s it has definitely evolved and changed. And I'm, I don't want to paint this picture that it's been like this easy, rosy ride. Like it's not, it, it's, it's been tough to kind of, to be able to adapt to all the changes in the market and in this industry. But we have seen, we've seen our brand or, or the brands that we work with change a lot. You know, previously we were a huge supplier to Levi's, for example, or we worked with other, um, contour brands like Wrangler and that, they're no longer, they no longer make up a big portion of our, of our um, customer base. So we have seen a transition. um, And, and is that because of price? I believe so. I believe a lot of that is because of price, because if we're we're talking about, you know, the numbers that just, you know, and you have to remember like Kanyani is not a big, we produce 20 million meters a year, but we're considered almost small in terms of, you know, there are certain, there are certain other mills that make that much in a month. So we are, we can be kind of identified or considered a boutique almost denim mill. Mm. And so, yeah, we aren't able to keep up with, or I shouldn't say we aren't able right. to keep up, but we are not, are not supplying some of those. Choosing yes. to keep up. Maybe. Yes. Yes. Like, like some of the big, big, um, you know, names in the denim industry. And we now work a lot with, of course, as as Jesse was was alluding to, we work with a lot of Italian brands, Italian luxury brands, and then we've seen um, some of these smaller, sustainable brands, like kind of niche. Yeah, these niche small brands that are maybe you know two girls that decided they wanted to start designing jeans or you know have founded their 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 fashion mm. brand. Um, I mean, and we work with some bigger ones too. That's interesting. I mean, it's also something we heard from Pete Holton in season one when he described how he was trying to shift his strategy in terms of the types of customers and the portfolio of customers that he wanted to work with. Danielle, this has been fascinating. I feel like both throughout part one and part two of this conversation, my mind is just trying to absorb as much of the information that you're putting out as possible because we've covered so many topics. So thank you for taking your time to share your knowledge and your understanding and your experience within the industry with us. Thank you for listening to Manufactured. 
To learn more about our guests and the issues we've chatted about today, sign up for our weekly newsletter on our website, www.manufacturedpodcast.com, or find us on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast. We'd also love to hear your stories and what you think. Collecting with listeners is the most rewarding part of what we do, so please don't be shy. To be the first to find out about new episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love it if you left us a review. Leaving a review helps other people find our show. And finally, if you'd like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our website homepage. Thanks for listening and see you next week.